Yes, fulfilling your wife's deepest needs from a woman's perspective. Since Pam can't make it, we're just saying fulfilling your spouse's deepest needs. Amen. Now, how many people read chapter 11? One person. Good, because I'm really taking this my own direction. I read chapter 11 to study for this. Uh, Me and Pam are going to kind of tag team it, so I went ahead and kind of did some studying on it. And really, I was telling Bev, everything that she's talking about in here really applies to the man as well. It, it really does. And we might even kind of touch on that and get into it a little deeper uh, as we go. But uh, I did want to say this. You know, she starts out by saying, talking about something very interesting here. Uh, and because uh, she goes all the way back to the garden. And uh, how many of you know that's where all the trouble started, isn't it? She said, I'm convinced that only when we keep God in the formula of marriage, one man plus one woman equals not two but one, uh, only then can we continue to grow and improve this sacred relationship between a man and a woman. And it is a sacred relationship. That's where a lot of people miss it. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. Big difference between the two. Contracts are civil agreements. Uh, Covenants are sacred agreements. Contracts are conditional, based on conditions. You do this, I do that. You do this, I'm protected. If you do this, you're protected if I do that. But covenants are unconditional. (laughs) I love that. So that's how we should love. That's how God loves us. God loves us unconditionally. And uh, that's how we should love our spouses. And so, uh, because it is a covenant, we love her unconditionally. She loves us unconditionally. When you do that, when you get a hold, just simply getting a hold of the covenant, uh, relationship, well, you can take books like this and just toss them. You don't need them because you need to understand your place in Christ to have a successful marriage. And uh, we're kind of going to go over that stuff. Uh, let's just start by, I, I put this little deal together in, in the first one to fill in a couple of blanks. It says that in the Garden of Eden, not only did the devil attack Eve... But it was also an attack on the character of God and the institution of holy matrimony. Just think about it. You know, uh, how clever of the devil. He didn't notice, he didn't approach the man, he approached the weaker vessel. And this is, how many of y'all have heard of the law of first mention in Scripture? Uh, It's when you see something mentioned in Scripture, if you'll go back to the first time it's mentioned, it's pretty much, that sets the standard for the way it should be interpreted spiritually throughout the entire Scripture. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, it's, he came, uh, not only did the devil attack Eve, but it was also an attack on the character of God 
and uh, yeah, she's, it's a little different there than from your papers. You don't have a paper? Look at your paper, not that. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's not only did the devil attack Eve, but he also was an attack on the character of God and the institution of holy matrimony. Um, okay, where was I before that? Uh, <laughs> uh, first mentioned, right. And th since, since this happened in the first, <clears throat> right at the beginning of Scripture, then what you see in Scripture throughout all of Scripture is the woman used as a symbol through which the enemy brings sin or corruption. Uh, the parable of leaven, the woman took and hid in three loaves, you know, it just goes on and on. But uh, so he approached the weaker vessel. And uh, so it was an attack on marriage because as a result of the curse, then you had strenuous labor for childbearing, which was not the deal before. Uh, the, the desire to rule over one another. Uh, so the curse resulted in a an attack on marriage, the institution of marriage. And you know what's really cool about marriage? Another thing I'd like for y'all to understand, not only is marriage a covenant, but just if you look at the picture of the first wedding, which was God presenting Eve's hand in marriage to Adam. Great typology of the church, of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ being presented to Jesus. But, but just the name of God. Holy matrimony is written all in the name of God. The, the Hebrew, I began to study here lately. I'm doing some little studying in Hebrew. Mostly touched on Greek, which I'm horrible at anyway. But Hebrew is extremely difficult to grab a hold of because it's layered so thick. Every uh, word... Every letter has a name and a word. It has a numerical value. It's got uh, layers of meaning depending on what other words it's used with or what jot or tittle or symbol is, is given and added to that. So it's just, it, it's so expansive. But just the name Yahweh is a picture of what went on in the garden. When you remember, it says uh, in the, beginning of creation, God was doing a lot of separating, right? Separated the light from the darkness. He separated the waters above from the waters beneath. He took man, and he remember, he's, I, I preached this a couple of weeks or months back, uh, and he saw man after all of the separating that he had done, and, and in Adam was all of mankind. And, you know, the scripture says it's not good that man should be all alone. And really, we can kind of take that word alone and, and put a little separated out. And what he's saying is it's not good because all of mankind was in Adam. And he said it's not good that mankind should be all one. All one. Isn't that what they were trying to do in Babel? And see, we ever since the curse, we've had this tendency to be all group everything together rather than spread out and separate and cover the face of the earth and have dominion, we have this tendency to pile up in big, tall buildings and reach the heavens, and, and Babel is still very strong in the world today. 
But God said, no, it's not good that mankind should be all one. And so he took the man and caused a sleep to fall on him. And I can't, I hate that the King James said rib. Rib is a horrible translation. Every other time you see that word, it is side, the side of something or a person. So God took a side of mankind out of Adam and fashioned Eve. And, and so, see, mankind, man in Adam came from God. So he had God, he were made in the image of God. So we have a lot of things of God in us. And so when he took the woman out of the side, he also fashioned her, not of the dust of the ground. That part was already in Adam. But he fashioned her in the way he wanted. But he has attributes in the woman as well. God has both the female and the male attributes, both, in him. Now, how many of you know the Bible says that Jesus is the great reconciler? See, in the beginning, everything was in God. You and I were in God. We were in the consciousness of God. It, the Psalms tells us he knew us. Before we were even in our mother's womb, he knew us because we were in the mind of God. The earth all the stars, everything that was created was already came from God. And now the curse happened, but first God started separating some things the way he wanted to, the way he designed them to work, right? And then the curse came and it just, boom, everything just exploded. And now it's coming back together and all things are being reconciled through Jesus Christ, the great reconciler. He's bringing all this back together, all back to God, to where we can all be one. Remember, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Now, we need to get a hold of this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one. And Jesus, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, under this great stress, began to pray to the Father and said, Father, you and I are one, and I pray not only for these disciples, but all who will believe after them the message that they preach, that they too shall be with you and I, and we shall all be one. And so we have this picture of unity, the way God designed this thing, Yahweh. The letters are uh, yod Hey vav Hey." makes up Yahweh. The, the, uh, now, it's kind of confusing because Yahweh is from left to right, but Hebrew reads the opposite. So, but yod Hey vav Hey is really translated, behold the hand. Yod is, is hand. I, remember I told you there's symbols and meanings behind every letter. He says, behold the hand, behold the nail. Or the hook. What's that a picture of? Behold the hand. Behold the nail. All the, just the revealing of Yahweh. But not only that, he's taking the woman, Yahweh, and he comes to Adam and he says, Behold, I give you this hand in marriage. Now, cleave unto your wife. Be nailed. Be fastened unto your wife. See those hooks in the temple that held the uh, 
the veil up between the holy of holies and the holy place. Those are vav. That, that's, those are the hooks, the nails. That's what they're called. They, the, the vav is the great joiner. Jesus, in a sense, is the vav. He joins heaven to earth. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew, in the beginning, God created heavens and earth, and is vav. And in the beginning, God created, and, and notice, it's the sixth word. In, there's no the, beginning, God created heavens, va, earth. And so Yahweh himself in Yeshua, in Jesus, he connects. He's the great connector that holds together or presents heaven and earth fashioned together. We, in him, we have the ability to be one with him, one with heaven. Thy kingdom come. Got it? Isn't that so cool? And so there's this oneness that really needs to be understood, not only with my husband and my, or my wife, but with God in the midst of us. That's the way it was intended to be. And uh, so you have the picture of the triangle. Has anyone ever seen this? Just imagine a big triangle here. Here's your base, and this side goes up. You can draw this on your paper if you want. And then this side goes up. Well, this side you can put man. This side you can put woman. And you can put God at the top. And as we seek God in our relationship, what happens? We're seeking God, we get closer together. So the closer we get to God, the closer we get to husband and wife as well. And until we reach God, and we're all one. Hallelujah. And that's the intention that God intended for a marriage to be a unity, a one. That's why a man should leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, that's about as much as I can butcher the Hebrew right now, but I'm working on it. I'm really intrigued by the Hebrew now. I mean, that blows me away that Yahweh in the beginning said, <laughs> I am God. Yahweh is I am that I am. So he's saying, I am, behold my hand, behold the nail. <laughs> 4,000 years later, he would be nailed to the cross to reconcile man back to himself. Powerful stuff. All right, and then she kind of talks, she said it on my book, it's page 148, but everybody's got, we got three different copies of this. Uh, she talks about divorce. She says that uh, statistics tell us that for every two couples who say, I do, in the United States, one couple is likely to say, I don't anymore. That's, that's 50%. And then she goes on to say, and what's worse is, uh, unfortunately, Christians are not exempt from troubled marriages. You know, there's, there's just about as much divorce in church as there is in the secular world. Why is that? Because people don't understand they're in a covenant relationship. People jump into marriage just like Christians jump into being a Christian. They just confess, I'm a Christian, without thinking, counting the cost. Remember when Jesus said, he, you, gotta, you better count the cost if you want to follow me. And he tells the story of a, a builder. Well, what, which one of you being a builder wouldn't you know, build a building, a tower, 
and not first count the cost to see if he's got enough money and materials to finish the job. Otherwise, everybody's going to say, yeah, you fool. It's a waste of everyone's time. And that's what so many Christians do, not only with God, but they jump into marriage. That's what I did before I was really, I mean, I was a professing Christian because I got saved when I was about nine years old. But I knew absolutely nothing about God. And so I went through three marriages, playing music and partying and doing dope and stuff. But when I came to God and I got married to Pam, we've been together 31 years now. We've been together 32, but married 31 of those 32 years. So uh, now I know how to love. I, I didn't know how to love until God shed his love abroad in my heart. That teaches us how to love. And I'll tell you, I don't know how these people hang on to marriages and keep marriages for 50, 60 years who aren't sold out to, to Jesus. But there's people that do it. They're probably miserable. A lot of secrets, a lot of things going on in their, their life and their marriage that probably shouldn't be. But when you get sold out to God, you don't need stuff like this. You, you, don't, you don't need marriage counseling classes. You, don't, you know... One thing I caught when I was reading this book, and there's some things I don't really necessarily agree with in here I'll get to later, but if we understand this is a God thing, what, what we underestimate is the devil's ability or demon's ability to come in and wreak havoc in your life. And so, therefore, when trouble it gets stirred up in a relationship, rather than going and seeking counseling, we ought to be seeking deliverance because demons are going to wreck your marriage. A marriage is not wrecked because you don't understand what's going on or you're argumentative or she's trying to change me. That's, no, it's because demons are in the midst of your household wreaking havoc on your house. And no counselor, unless they're a pastor, can understand that and deliver you from the demonic activity that's destroying your family. Uh, so that's, that's just a natural fact there. Now, Christian counseling, again, it's a possibly, it's a great thing, you know. But in my opinion, they need to be Holy Ghost filled and understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit because uh, when there's people, and I'm not saying you can't get good teaching from people who don't believe in that. You have people like Charles Stanley, John MacArthur, people that, that don't believe in the baptism. I'm not saying I can't learn some things from this, but I'm saying it's lacking something. Every time you delve deep into the teaching of what they're teaching, it's lacking the power of the Holy Spirit. There's not one mention in here of demon being delivered from demonic attacks. And, and, and that's, what, that's the root of the problem. And so that's something very important. Understanding that we have a covenant and we need to live by that covenant and understanding that we need to keep the door shut on demons and the devil. Absolutely. Yeah. It is. It, yeah, there's a spirit behind these things often, and that's what doesn't get addressed in sometimes these types of teachings. They're, they're good stuff and stuff like that, and of course, to people who are out there who may be babes or they're not baptized with the Spirit, it's going to be helpful. It's going to be great. But 
there comes a point in our life when if you've been saved three, four, or five years, you should be baptized in the Holy Spirit and understand demons want to destroy your family. They want to destroy your life, and you've got to learn how to deal with demons and take authority in the covenant that has reconciled you back to God and made you one with him and one with your wife. Amen? Or your husband. All right, are we getting anything out of this? Now, look here. Uh, she moves into knowing. The main points of this chapter are knowing or loving your husband, or we're going to say spouse, uh, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Okay? Now, I just went a different direction. You can study this if you want to. I didn't even use it, really. I'd use the outline. But uh, what I did is what I saw in here when she said that is I saw, notice it says here in the second paragraph, knowing your spouse's needs, and I put love, love, love. It's really quite simple. This isn't rocket science. It's unconditional love, but it's not only that. Notice, there's three types of love. The Bible really speaks of about five words for love, but I, I, three are really stand out, and those are the ones I'm using because they cover the spiritual aspect, the emotional aspect, and physical. Notice the spirit is, and then the emotions are connected to the soul, right? Mind, will, and emotion, that's the soulish realm. It's fleshly. The soul, this is where all the problems. If you're born again, your spirit's never going to be more powerful than it is right now. It's never going to be more pure than it is right now. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You're white as snow. Your sins have been washed away. That's your spirit. The problems arise with the other two. And mostly in the soulless realm. Suke is the Greek word for soul, which speaks of the mind, the will, and the emotions and that's, the reason why that's a big one is because it also governs your physical aspects. <laughs> your body really doesn't do anything until it's first reacting from something in here, something up here, or in here. So it's the soul that the devil comes against. If you're a born-again believer, the devil can't do anything about that. He can't get you unsaved. But he can sure come against your soul and wreak havoc on your soul. We've got to have our soul saved as well. You know, James said that we should take heed and, and just examine the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He's talking to believers. Able to deliver. And all this, of course, is, it's, happens through the renewing of the mind and those types of things. But that, listen, that, that, that's a powerful thing. This is where the devil comes against marriages, families, and in, in our lives. He wreaks havoc up here. So... Notice I've got spirit, soul, and body, and then spirit is, equals the agape love. That's the God kind of love that's an unconditional God kind of love. That's how we need to love our wives. But a successful marriage isn't just based on agape love. A successful marriage needs all three of these. A successful marriage needs phileo love. You need to be best friends with your with your husband or your wife. And, and uh, you, you uh, and then what, what does it say? I've got brotherly or best friend type of love. And then eros. Eros is uh, the Greek word where we get erotic. We, all, we need the erotic, erotic kind of love as well. It, it's kind of silly not to be attracted to your spouse at all. You want to be attracted, right? But that can't be the only thing it's based on. 
That's why I went through our previous marriages before I got born again. I was purely fleshly, flesh, fleshly appetite, just driven by the flesh only. And, I, and it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, so let's move on down to spiritually. We're going to break each one of these three categories down. Uh, Bev, are you back there? Okay, let's pull up our first scripture on spiritually, the spiritual aspect. She's got three things here, submission, servanthood, and being the protector. Here we're talking about submission, and the apostle Peter tells us, uh, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Wow, that is a powerful submission. And pastors already touched on this in, in previous, so we're not going to expand too much on it. But that, in a nutshell, is what submission will do. It'll win the husband over. And it's, 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 it could be a difficult thing if the wife is not thinking about all the things we're talking about and understanding covenant understanding unconditional love and understanding that when I submit like God told me to, his favor is going to be all over me. And I'm going to be praying for my husband. If he's abusive or if he's, you know, this or that, uh, that I'm going to be praying for him. And then, uh, let's see, we got the next part is servanthood. And I'm going to kind of try to hurry along because I want to touch on some other things. Servanthood, Titus 2, 4, and 5. How many of you know that, that we are servants as well, right? Even though we're sons and daughters, we're sons and daughters with the servant's attitude. That's right. Remember the prodigal? Even when the prodigal son, uh, come on in. Come on in. Have a seat. We'll, we'll be done here in just a little bit. You're fine. can't have them until we're done no <laughs> I'm teasing uh, <laughs> but you are welcome to stay and listen to the word if you like bless you God bless but uh yeah the servant uh the servant remember the prodigal he he was a son but when he came to himself he said even my father's servants are eating better than I am I know what I'll do. I'll go back with the servant's attitude. I'll go put on a servant's robe. Amen? That's the right kind of attitude. See what it got him? Ring on his finger and the fatted cat and the robe. And <laughs> then the next thing you know, the Pharisee older brother's all jealous and been out of shape. Wow. That's what servanthood will do, though. Praise God. Serve your husband. Serve your wife. Husband, serve your wife. You know, because like I said in the beginning, this is supposed to be from the woman's perspective, but I didn't see one thing that doesn't go the other way. It should all be reciprocated and, and replicated from one to the other. Because the husband's not to rule over his wife. Jesus, Jesus is my ruler, but he doesn't lord it over me, does he? he I have the freedom to go sin if I want to go sin and be stupid. He doesn't beat me over the head. He just waits for me to come to my senses and then receive me with open arms. Well, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, 
and to be discreet, chaste homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Boy, there's a good reason, right? If you could think of one reason. I've even prayed that before. Lord, I don't want to make you look bad. I don't want my conduct to make you look bad, Lord. I don't mind. I already look bad enough. <laughs> that's, that's okay. I just don't want to make him look bad. And if I take on the servant's heart in my marriage, God's favor is going to be all over me, and he's going to be glorified in that marriage. Hallelujah. Sooner or later, no matter how stubborn a husband may be, if you'll hang in there. Now, I've seen that with my own daughter-in-law. I'm telling you, she has taught me stuff that I, I just thought that I knew. I watched her live it out. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I did some of those same things with healing a few times, but never with a relationship. Never, never with the types of things that she had to go through. But it doesn't matter if it's healing or relationships or what it is. You've got to have bulldog faith and submission to God and just not give up. Say, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God, and he'll exalt me in due time. He'll fix this thing. It's broken, I don't know, but all I know is I'm praying, and he's going to fix it. That's faith. That's faith. And God honors faith every time. Hallelujah. Woo! I don't know. I'm getting something out of this myself, guys. All right. And see that the woman or the man, we need to be the protector. And, and listen, this isn't just a physical thing because this is supposed to be in the book from the woman's perspective. But we're talking about a spiritual relationship here. And, and the woman needs to be praying over her husband. That's how you protect your husband. Husbands, you want to know how to protect your wife? You pray over her every day. All the time. I'm telling you what, there's not a time. I leave my house every day for work, and I know one thing for sure. I know this for a fact. Pam is at home saying, I plead the blood of Jesus over Terry's truck. I plead the blood of Jesus over him at work that he's not. I plead the blood of Jesus everywhere. He goes. And, and, and we were just saying the other day, I was sitting there. I was telling it was y'all, wasn't it? We were at lunch. I'm sitting at the stoplight, this was about a month ago, at, at, on MacArthur, facing I-40 and Reno, and I'm in the middle lane, and here's uh, the right lane, and then the left-hand turn lane. I'm the first car there. I'm just looking, and the next thing you know, it happens so fast. This pickup truck just comes helicoptering and misses my truck by a, a foot, and it's in midair going, phew, 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 boom, and it hit the light, stoplight, pole next to the car that was next to me and just just it was horrid i don't know what i didn't even know what happened it happened so fast i didn't even see but apparently somebody ran a red light he was going through and somebody hit him and but but pam's i called her and i told her what i said you're not gonna believe what just happened i told her that story and she goes i was just pleading the blood of jesus over you i mean that's protection that's divine protection so man that's that's what we both need to be doing, praying over our spouse all the time, praying over our children all the time because God honors faith. Don't give up. God honors prayer, and that puts a realm of protection around you. He'll give his angels charge over you. I honestly believe an angel is just there kind of just 
No, don't hit Terry's new truck. <laughs> he wouldn't like that. <laughs> Besides that, his wife's at home pleading the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Mm. Well, we move into the physical aspect. Okay, wait. Mm. She kind of she kind of went in on the this section talking about uh, men. <laughs> this is part I didn't really agree with. I thought it was somewhat stereotypical. Uh, anytime you stereotype persons uh, or a group of people with a broad stroke of a brush, you're going to get into trouble. And she's kind of talking about how men are, you know, the uh, the big appetite for sex and you know gratified quickly, you know, and uh, then you're, you're just the poor woman's just left uh, unsatisfied, unfulfilled. And hey, look. I, I'm sure there's a lot of guys like that. But as I was meditating on what she had said there, I thought, okay, wait a minute. God did not create a man to selfishly and quickly gratify himself in a sexual manner and just leave his wife. That's not how God created a man. And that's kind of how this section comes off. That, yeah, there's a lot of men like that because they're idiots and they're demon-possessed. I was also thinking of, I, you don't hear too much of it these days, but it was some years back. I, there was men, every time you turn around, there's some, some guy on a Jerry Springer taking therapy because he's addicted to sex. I mean, I, you heard it all the time. Or now even women addicted to sex and they're having to go to therapy for No, you need deliverance. If you're, if you're not gratifying your wife and you're just indulging in your own fleshly appetite and then then you just leave her unsatisfied you're full of demons you're not doing what god created you to do and that's why i kind of disagreed with this part you know uh that's why it goes back to what i was talking about in the beginning sometimes we need deliverance we don't need counseling we need someone to say dude you're wrong and you're full of demons if you had god in you and the holy spirit you'd know how to make your wife happy physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying. That's not how God created us. It's not. And you know, she kind of did the same thing on the woman's side. The stereotypical woman, you know, is, is just more sensible, sensitive, and well, yeah, I know, there, but there are very unsensitive women, and there are nymphomaniac women who, they're, they're, you know, like what she would stereotype the guy like. They're, you never know what you're going to When you get demon, full of demons, you, you're just going to be all messed up. And so it's dangerous to stereotype a man or a woman or a group of people this way. The, the simple fact of the matter is we need Jesus, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit, and we won't have to worry about any of that stuff. None of it. None of it. And we're going to get to some really powerful stuff here at the end here. Okay, physically. Look here. A, freely sharing a physical expression of love. 1 Corinthians 7, 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Yeah, there's a concept. You are not your own, right? And look at the man. 
the husband uh, does not have authority over his own body. The wife does. So when we're talking about a physical uh, expression of love with our spouses, that's the way we need to look at it. See, really, my own body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Jesus because he bought it with his own blood. But when I'm talking about a physical relationship or a physical expression of love, I need to look at it in the sense that this is not my body. It's for her satisfaction. It's for her. He needs to look at it the same way she needs to look at it. This is not my body. This is for him. Let's go to our next one because uh, we get into some pretty heavy stuff here. Do not deprive your spouse of physical expression. Let's, let's go ahead and read our scripture. I want to expand on this. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. <laughs> Amen. Wow, there's some, good in, there's some good counseling right there. That, that'll go further than any psychology ever. You give yourselves over to fasting and prayer, and then you come together again so that Satan doesn't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, you know, how many of you have heard the wife withhold sex from her husband? If, if, you're not going to have sex with me. I'm not going to do this. If you're not going to do this, I'm not going to give you any sex. If, if you don't do this for me, you're not getting any. You know what we call that? Witchcraft. It's manipulation. It's a Jezebel spirit that'll come in and destroy your marriage. Same with a man. Either way, it doesn't matter. But you, you cannot do that because what you're doing is you're opening the door for a Jezebel spirit to come into your marriage and completely destroy it. I'm glad y'all agree because I couldn't really explain this much. <laughs> oh, Lord help us. But, you know, now we get into this third part uh, emotionally, and I was really confused because in my book it was from one page 156 all the way to 164, the rest of the chapter on emotionally pleasing the husband. And it was all based on admiration, and I didn't really understand the connection there. I mean, she was talking about how a husband wants to be admired. Duh. <laughs> you know, people don't want to be with others that don't admire them. I, I thought that was kind of a no-brainer. And she went through several points. You can read them if you like and study them and all that. But I went a completely different direction with this. Uh, let's go to uh, A here. I just wrote this out. We need to celebrate and amplify the healthy emotions in our spouse. Because, see... Every relationship has healthy emotions. Some of my emotions are healthy, but some of them are unhealthy. Anger. You, if you explode every time your wife asks you to do something, you got a problem. Right? That's an emotional problem that needs to be, well, let's just finish because it pretty much says it all. Uh, so encourage, support, and pray over unhealthy emotional weaknesses that may be discovered as your relationship matures. So again, this comes back to the wife or the husband protecting 
one another, praying over them, pleading the blood of Jesus, serving them, submitting, doing all the things that we've talked about. When you do that, then these unhealthy emotions will get healed. God, because this is what God's doing to your husband or your wife. He's sanctifying them. He's, he's putting Christ-like character into them. Christ didn't get angry off the cuff just because somebody asked him to do something. Right? I mean, Christ-like character is what we're looking at here for the husband and the wife. And so uh, we, we'll just simply do this. And, and then uh, on the bottom I said, uh, learn to laugh and cry. See, these are emotions. We need to learn how to laugh together and cry together. When your wife is hurting, man, go up and hold her. You know, some guys can't even come up and hug their wife. Get over there, put your arm around her and cry with her. Say, I'm here for you, baby. I don't know what else to say, but I'm here. Whatever you need, I'm here. I'll do it. I'm sorry. We need to learn how to laugh with, together, cry together, celebrate together, mourn together. We need to learn how to question things in a marriage in a civil way. You know, I wrote this down on my paper here. Uh, just because a woman wants to gripe or express that she had a rough day at, the, at work or something, that doesn't mean that she wants you to fix everything. It doesn't mean that she's trying to start a fight. She's just trying to verbalize an emotion that she needs to verbalize. It's nothing personal. So don't get bent out of shape about it. Amen? You love this woman. You need to say, I understand, baby. I understand what you're saying. My day was kind of rough, too. What can we do? You know, we need to learn how to question things, and we need to learn how to understand each other. Here's a big one. Learn to communicate. Don't keep things hidden or secret. When you, keep, when you have secrets or hidden things in your relationship, you've got a big, wide-open door to the devil. And he's going to come in and destroy that relationship. Everything needs to be laid out bare in the open. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. This is good stuff, though. I, I did, this is straight from the Holy Spirit because it ain't in that book, and I just, man, the Holy Spirit said, write this down. So I did it. And I'm sitting here going, whoa, you're right, Lord. But don't, men, sometimes men will keep things bottled up. And, and you know, I'm not like that. Uh, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. You know how Terry feels instantly. <laughs> and really, that's a good thing. Because there's, I know a lot of guys, probably 90% of the guys I know, are in, they keep it all in. And so the woman can misread that. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean the man doesn't love you. It means this is one of his aspects that you need to be praying over and, and, and get him to be more of a talker, more of a communicator, you know? Some guys can't even say I love you because they're too macho or something. I don't know, too stupid. Life is too short. Go hug your wife. Say, baby, I love you. You look beautiful today. Women, not all, 
but I mean, you, if you're in a relationship long enough, you should know what your wife needs to hear because she sends those signals. And if you're too caught up or too bottled up to even catch these signals, there's something wrong with your marriage. You've got an open door for the devil to come and wreak havoc in your marriage. So women should do the same thing. I mean, don't keep things bottled up. And, and just remember, uh, if, if he's keeping things bottled up, again, it's not a personal attack. He's not keeping uh, necessarily keeping or hiding something from you. It's just one of those emotions you need to be praying over. Lord, please make him a little more open. Get him to where he'll speak about these things so I can, I can gain understanding in this area or vice versa, right? I hope you guys got something out of this tonight. I, I kind of took this my own direction, but uh, feel free to study and hear all the points that I didn't. Uh, but I just thought these were extremely extremely important and these are things that Pam and I have learned to uh, put into our relationship the past 32 years and it's it's worked great for us and if it can work for this idiot it can work for anybody father we love you tonight we just praise you for your word we thank you for wives and and lord the wives here thank you for husbands and Lord, there may be some out there listening on podcasts who have lost their husband and their widows, or maybe they've never been married before. I pray that they find you are the greatest husband, Lord. You are the provider. You are the one that can fill every need as we are all reconciled unto you and we become one with each other and one with you. Father, thank you for this covenant relationship you've given to us. I pray for your precious Holy Spirit over everyone listening to this on podcast, everyone listening in this room, that your precious Holy Spirit will rule and reign in their relationship, and they will begin to implement these things in their relationship, and that they will study these papers and listen to the podcast if they need to several times, because these principles are your principles, and they will put your character into us. And if we have that, Lord... We have everything. So we thank you that we are more than conquerors. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Be salt, be light.